1: Unlock more affirmations on our blog in the description of each episode. Keep it real, stay empowered.
2: You only have to ask a stupid question once. You ask a stupid question, and if you're in a crowd and you ask a stupid question, 80% of the people in the crowd have the same question. They're just too cowardly to ask. But you ask and then someone actually tells you, you never have to ask that question again. You're no longer stupid. What stupid thing am I doing that I could quit doing? that I would quit doing, because those aren't the same thing, right? Because you know there's stupid things that you're doing that you're just not going to quit doing, because you like them. But there might be something on the edge there where you could stop that. If you want to know something about yourself, sit on your bed one night and say to yourself, you've got to mean this, like you've got to be desperate. This is no game, this. My life is not everything I want it to be. And perhaps it's not everything that I need it to be. And by need, I mean my life is so unbearable that the suffering that's attendant upon that has made me nihilistic, cynical, bitter, resentful, driving the proclivity to see evil everywhere except within my own heart. Like, these are problems, man. And you ask yourself, you sit on the bed and say, okay, man, I'm ready to learn something. What's one thing I'm doing wrong? that I know I'm doing wrong, that I could fix, that I would fix. It's like, you meditate on that, you'll get an answer. And it won't be one you want, but it'll be the necessary one. You know, and it's often something that will point you to small things. Like that works. You start making those micro-improvements, like real micro-improvements, real on-the-ground actual micro-improvements to things you know that are wrong you'll improve unbelievably rapidly. The great people I know are brutally truthful to themselves and other people, and they have insanely adventurous lives. Get rid of everything you say that you only say to impress other people, and just see if you can say what you believe to be true. That's an adventure. That's the thing about the truth, you know? Well, you gotta ask yourself, if you're not speaking the truth, who is it that's talking? If you're saying something that you do not believe to be true, It's not you talking, it's something else. It might be the part of you that wants to manipulate the other person into delivering what you think you want from them. Well, what is that spirit of manipulation that you've allowed to possess you? It's not you. Let's say you decide to live your whole life in that instrumental manner. You're gonna craft your words like the student who says, well, I'm gonna write what the professor wants to hear so I get the grade. It's like, well, you just turn yourself into that. Well, who is it that's doing that manipulating? It's not you, because those aren't your words. So even if you get the grade, it's not you that got the grade. It's the false you. It's the manipulative you. So you do that your whole life. You don't have your life. And then you think, well, God, that was a miserable life. I manipulated everybody. They were so damn stupid. They were sucked in by it. They're all contemptible. Everyone does it, you know, which they don't, by the way. And so that's a pathway to bitterness. Partly because if you're a manipulator and you use your language falsely, you don't live your own life you live the life of whatever possesses you when you think it's you manipulating and so you live the life of the spirit of manipulation
1: there, there's a book it's, it's a book called about face it's it's about a guy that was in the korean war and then he was in the vietnam war and his name is colonel david hackworth it, when i was on deployment i would read open up that book anywhere and I would read two pages or three pages before I'd go to bed if I was in my bed that night. And and there were so many lessons that correlated to what I was actually going through. And a a real obvious example was when you read, you can learn and you you don't have to go through the school of hard knocks. You don't have to get punched in the face repeatedly with things that turn out to be situations that other people have absolutely gone through the 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 level of capability increases so much by seeing something one single time well if i see something one time i'm i'm infinitely better than if i'd never seen it before it's like those you know those little puzzles they give you a little puzzle some kind of a mind bender right the mind benders only work on you one time the riddle only works on you one time then you go i i know the answer to that that's the answer you know you never get fooled by that again so just knowing just seeing it one time you're infinitely better so when you read enough you're capturing all these lessons of course you want to put the book on you want to become that person that can rattle you
2: up man especially if the person is thinking all sorts of things that you've never thought i mean i love reading for that reason i could pick my peers too which i really loved it's like well you know i have these people around me but then there's these people who who've lived before me and in different places, and I can set them up on my shelf, I can enter into their world, and I can benefit from everything they've thought and saturate myself with that person. And it's very disruptive, especially if the person that you're reading has a mind that's more powerful and more well-developed than your own. It was very disruptive, but unbelievably useful unbelievably useful to try on other people like that and you get the benefit of their entire life distilled into their into their book you know it, it it's 30 years of work I, I read this one book called the neuropsychology of anxiety which is a it's a great scientific work it's a very hard book i think it has 1800 references something like that and this guy jeffrey gray he actually read all those references and he understood them and so it took me six months to read the book but I got an entire education out of it. I got to experience in six months what it took him 30 years to learn. Like what a gift that is. It's, it's, it's unbelievable. What were you reading when you were in university? Was it, was it fiction, novels? Was it nonfiction? fiction what, what, what were you
1: focusing on? As trite as this may sound, it was actually the, the most impact was from Shakespeare the most impact on on multiple levels and i'll tell you the primary level and when i've covered shakespeare on my podcast i explain this to people people think well you know i didn't really understand I, i read it and understand it if you think you're gonna just pick up shakespeare open it up and read it and understand it you're not going to because it's barely written in english It's barely written in English. It's almost another language. So what you have to do is you have to start to interpret it. And so what I realized with with Shakespeare is number one, the weight of the words that these words were so pregnant with meaning that you had to pull those words and parse those words and pull those words apart to see all the depth that each individual word had and then the way that they're put together and what was great about this was by the time i was back because then i went right back into the seal teams and somebody would hand me a rules of engagement document that was written by some lawyer in washington dc and i'd pull it out and say wait a second this word i don't know what this word means let's pull this word out let's see what this let's see what this actual definition of this particular word is and how that changes my viewpoint of these rules of engagement and how can i translate that for my troops so that they actually know what to do so that part uh, for me, was from a reading perspective, starting to read Shakespeare and and saying, "Oh, okay, you're not going to understand this. And if you don't understand something, that's okay. You pull out the Oxford English Dictionary and you look it up, and then you not just find out what the meaning of the word is, but what's the root word and where does it come from, and what kind of depth and what kind yeah, of yeah. And that's really that's that's unbelievably useful too. Virtually every word is like that because word
2: is a an- ancient artifact. It's like, it's, 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 like an, it's like an animal in some sense. It has an evolutionary history and it transforms across time. And each word kind of, it carries the echoes of its past with it too, because each word um, attracts other words in a particular unique way. So it kind of lives in a word ecosystem as well. And the ecosystem contains information about the history of that word. And you think, well, why is that important? It's like, well, hey, guess what? You think in words. You talk in words. You have all these archaic entities, these words, these living entities that you use. It's like the more you know about them, the more you know about you, the more you know about other people, and the better you are at formulating and communicating your ideas. There's nothing, lo- there's nothing lost in that kind of investigation. Nothing, there's nothing but gain there. Your ambition, if you have any sense, is actually to become competent. Do you want to be competent and dangerous, or do you want to be vague and useless? It is definitely the case that there is no more exceptional form of the capacity to be dangerous than to be articulate. And so it's a moral endeavor in some real sense. To become articulate is to become the master of your own tongue. Every advantage comes with a disadvantage. So if you're extroverted, you're social, and you're positive, but you're impulsive, and you can tilt towards hedonism, and you can't stand being alone. No matter where you land in the temperamental landscape, you're going to have your associated faults and temptations. You've got a goal, and you'll see that as you progress towards the goal, there'll be obstacles that emerge, and some of them you don't want to confront. That's why it's useful to order your room. Chaotic room makes you anxious why too many pathways man people don't really repress the things they don't want to face they just fail to unpack them you want a horizon of ever-expanding possibility we're built to walk uphill and when you reach the pinnacle of the hill you want to stop and appreciate the vision but the next thing you want is a higher hill in the distance beware of unintended consequences it's like oh no this thing will just do what i want it to do and nothing else it's like No, it turns out that not only is what we want from each other the real thing, but that's also the adventure of your life. And so if you aren't truthful, and that means, unfortunately, especially at the beginning, when you start to be truthful, it means deeply coming to terms with your inadequacies, in humility. So it's very painful. Without that, you don't have the adventure of your life. You have the role that you've acquiesced to. And that'll take all the meaning out of your life. It's good for you to go take your place in the world. Have some ambition, have a vision, have a goal, have a strategy. Try to be a good person, not because it's your duty precisely, because that's the proper way to live. You sit on the bed and say, okay, man, I'm ready to learn something. What's one thing I'm doing wrong that I know I'm doing wrong that I could fix? You meditate on that, you'll get an answer. You grow in proportion to the weight you take on voluntarily. And it's also true that we have no idea what the upper limit to that is. It's from the uphill climb that we derive our value, and I mean this technically. So almost all the positive emotion we feel, especially the emotion that fills us with enthusiasm, and that's experienced in relationship to a goal. And so in some sense, you want a goal that you can never attain. So you can always move closer to the goal that recedes as you move towards it. You think, well, that's frustrating. It's like Sisyphus pushing the rock uphill. But it's not because as you pursue that goal, you put yourself together and your life does get better and richer and more abundant. And that's why the highest levels of virtue and goal are in some sense transcendent. You want them to be above everything you're doing so you can continually move towards something that's more sublime and better. That's what you are. You're you're here to live, not to not to sleep. And the problem with the vision of my ties on the beach is that, well, first of all, that's a vision of, of drug-induced unconsciousness. Second, it's only going to work for about a week. Third, you're going to be a laughingstock in a month and depressed and aimless and and goalless. It's no, that's not, it's, it's you want a horizon of ever-expanding possibility. And so it does happen to people as they, because they've staked their soul on the attainment of an instrumental goal. And it, it can be a pretty high-order goal, but then you think, now I'm there, now what? Well, the answer can't be Well, I'm going to live in the lap of luxury and never have to leave the faith. What do you want to be? A giant infant with a gold, with a gold bottle? You never have to do anything but lay in your back and suck. It's like you see the problem with that as a conceptualization. It's no, you want to be like an active warrior moving uphill with your sword in hand. And that's, that's dynamic. That's exciting. People are afraid of the truth because often if you reveal it, it causes conflict in the moment. Telling the truth is definitely an adventure. Seeking for sure, but also telling. Another way of going about it is to just say what you think and see what happens. That's an adventure because you don't know what the outcome is going to be. So look, there's this old idea that it's necessary to have faith in the truth. And so here's, here's a way of thinking about that. Someone asks you a question and you might think, well, here's the outcome I want. And so here's how I'm going to answer that question. So that's one way of approaching it. But another way of approaching it is, you ask me a question, I'm going to think about the answer, and I'm just going to tell you what I think. And it doesn't matter what the outcome is, because I'm willing to see what the outcome will be, predicated on the idea that there isn't a better outcome than the one that truth produces. Even if it's harsh and terrible in the, in the short term, and sometimes it is, it's like there isn't a better way of doing it. Now, you might say, well, how do you know that? And the answer is, well, I don't know that. That's why it's an article of faith, because I believe, And and, and I believe this deeply, the being that you produce as a consequence of telling the truth is good by definition, even though it's harsh and and often uncomfortable because you get in trouble. One of the things that I've really learned recently or learned to articulate better is that there's a very tight relationship between aspiration and responsibility. The first question might be, do you need to aspire to something? And the answer is, well, yes, because you have to do something. If you just sit there, you'll die. You can't just sit there. You have to go act out in the world. Okay, so act towards what? Well, that's whatever your aspiration is. You have to have an aim. Okay, well, what should the aim be? Well, it should be something worth doing, let's say. Why do something that you don't feel is worth doing? What do you think is worth doing? Well, if you watch other people and you judge when they're doing something worthwhile, you usually judge them positively if you see that they're taking responsibility, at least for themselves. What, do you want to be completely useless so other people have to take care of you? That's pretty pathetic. And maybe you could get your act together. So you're taking care of yourself and your family, and maybe you could even do better than that and take care of yourself and your family and your community. Well, good for you. That's that's responsibility and that's an aim. Well, here's one of the things that's cool about that is that your life doesn't have meaning without aspiration or an aim. Okay, so you need a hierarchy of values. There's got to be something at the top. It's got to be something important. If you don't have that, your life doesn't have any meaning. So if you criticize the hierarchy, or even the idea of hierarchy, you destroy the idea of aspiration. And then people have nothing. Well, that's not helpful. People are built for a struggle, and they're built for a weight. And you want to take on a heavy burden voluntarily. See if you can put yourself together. See what you can do out in the world while you're waiting to die. It's an all-in game. It better be worthwhile. If you gaze into the abyss long enough, you see the light, not the darkness. I'm betting my life on it bring it on the adventure along the route man and i would say where's that adventure to be found you don't want someone else's fate man your fate's enough and your adventure's enough it's plenty it's more than you can ever fully realize and so that's also part of the reason that we all believe that the individual has some intrinsic dignity it's don't be so sure that your position and your room is so damn trivial might be your attitude towards it that's trivial. And if you're in dire straits and dire circumstances, just look at how much opportunity you have to make things better. Well, maybe the same thing's true of life, right? You bind yourself to it. And the tighter you bind yourself to it, the more you find out what it is. And that's like a radical embrace. We're built to walk uphill. And when you reach the pinnacle of the hill, you want to stop and appreciate the vision, but The next thing you want is a higher hill in the distance because it's from the uphill climb that we derive our value. Almost all the positive emotion we feel, especially the emotion that fills us with enthusiasm, that's experienced in relationship to a goal. And so in some sense, you want a goal that you can never attain. There's nothing that makes you more formidable than verbal competence than being able to articulate, be able to think, to marshal your arguments, right? Aim yourself in one direction, and you might say, well, I've gone halfway down this path, and I found out it's wrong. Well, how do you distinguish that from just giving up? Well, that's a really hard question, right? It's it's a moral hazard. But then the absolute is, yeah, but you have to play one of them. You have to learn to play one of them. You have to become an expert at at least one of them. And then that's not a relative proposition. And I, I believe that's true. So you want to commit to something. And then when you commit to something, you require yourself to bring all of your disparate components moving in a single direction, united in a single direction. So it's a unifying, it's a unifying act.
0: You said that a harmless man is not a good man. A good man is a very dangerous man who has that under voluntary control. How should people become more dangerous? Oh,
2: becoming more articulate is definitely, I would say, That's the primary array of weapons. I mean, physical prowess is something, and and it's not nothing. That physical confidence that comes along with that as well. But the same thing replicated at the level of the ability to communicate and to think, that's a way broader field of, of battle and opportunity.
0: In a world with seemingly infinite options, It can be challenging to decide on the best course of action for one's life. Peterson suggests that a useful approach is to focus on what bothers you or what you find most challenging. These discomforts or challenges can be an indication of where one should focus their time and energy. By leaning into what is difficult or uncomfortable, individuals can discover their strengths and find direction in their lives. Be honest with yourself about your interests, abilities, and limitations, and pursue the path that aligns most closely with your values and passions.
2: There's a lot of things you could be bothered by. Like a million things, man. But some things grip you. They bug you. And they might make you resentful and bitter. Because they bug you so much. Like, they're your things, man. They've got you. So then, I look for a question that I would like the answer to. I would really like the answer to it so I don't assume I already have the answer because I would actually really like to have the answer so if I could get a better answer great and so that's the first thing and that's like a prayer it's like okay here's a mystery I would like to delve into it further well so that's humility it's like here's a mystery which means I don't know I would like to delve into it further which means I don't know enough already. And then, then comes the revelation. It's like, well, what's a revelation? Well, if you ask yourself a question, it's a real question. Do you get an answer or not? The answer is well, yeah, thoughts start to appear in your head. So from somewhere, that's right from somewhere, where, where do they come from? Do you have a sense? Depends on what you're aiming at. It depends. It depends on your intent. So imagine that your intent is to make things better. Then maybe they come from the place that's designed to make things better. Maybe your intent is to make things worse. Then they come from hell. Let's say you want to become who you could be in the fullest sense. So let's say you're someone who's going to solve some serious problems. Okay, the first thing you have to do is admit to the seriousness of the problems. That's no joke. And so the first thing is just the terror of the problem itself. And that's enough to paralyze you, right? And that's the hydra, that's the gorgon with the head of snakes. It'll paralyze you and and turn you to stone. That's the basilisk in the Harry Potter series. Mm -hmm. You look at it and it turns you to stone and lurks underneath everything, right? And it's malevolence and tragedy. And so so there's that. And then the next is, well, you're gonna take responsibility for that? You're really gonna do that, are you? That's a hell of a load, man. And so it's daunting to even consider that. And then there's the discipline and responsibility that that necessitates, which is also daunting. It's like, oh my God, the problem's that serious. I'm really going to have to get my act together in order to not contribute to it, much less solve it. And so the problem is terrible, and then the, the solution is daunting. But, but the upside of that is, is like, well, there isn't anything better to have than a problem that's worth solving. Like that's really worth solving, right? And so the more of that you take on, the more you have a reason to get out of bed in the morning, no matter what, Think I'm getting up, I'm trudging forward. doesn't matter what I'm suffering from. I've got things that need to be done. They're necessary. And that gives you that sense of purpose that is the antidote to bitterness. Okay, well, let's say you want your life to be meaningful. It's like, okay, then what you do matters. It actually matters. So that's an interesting thing. Well, So let's say you go over your past with a fine-tooth comb and you decide you're going to take responsibility for everything that you did that was wrong and everything that you failed to do that you could have done that was right. It's Like, does that change the world? It's like, depends on how thoroughly you do it. You might say it changes the world like nothing else possibly can. Mm. And I think that that's actually right. You have to allow yourself a certain latitude for error That's a useful thing to know too. One of the things I tell people when they're trying to develop a vision for their life or an implementable plan is um, make a bad plan. Make the best one you can, but don't get obsessive about it. It's like make a plan, implement it. You'll figure out when you implement it why it's stupid exactly, and then you can fix it a little bit. Compare yourself to who you were yesterday and not to who someone else is today. The same basic idea, right, is that you have to get your markers for success right because otherwise, you can end up in the situation you described, which is that, like, there's always people out there who are doing far better than you on pretty much anything you yep. want to imagine. And if all you're doing is seeing yourself in their reflected light, let's say, then it's going to be pretty damn dismal. But it's not a good comparison because you shouldn't just compare. It. Well, first of all, there's danger in just comparing yourself to others, period, because they're not you. And God only knows what struggles they had to undertake to get to where they were or what burdens they're currently carrying that you're not aware of you just don't know any of that but you can certainly contrast yourself with yourself and that's a lot better it is the only way well it's also the only way of really of really measuring anything approximating proper improvement you can actually tell when you're a little better than you were yesterday right so and and you can actually do that that's another thing that's so interesting about it is that you can actually make yourself a little better in some way pretty much well, I don't know if it's at every moment, but you can certainly do it every day. It's funny. I mean, you know, obviously, if you have a problem and you think about it, you can think up a solution. And it's not obvious how you do that. You know, I mean, it's not like you know how you're manipulating your neurons or something. Mm-hmm. It, 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 it happens of its own accord in some sense, like you can participate in it, I guess, and you can interfere with it. And it seems to take a certain amount of willpower, but it still all happens mysteriously behind the scenes. One of the things that I've been, so, so, you know, there's lots of different ways to interpret the world, and you can maybe even make a case that there's an endless number of ways to interpret the world, and the problem with that is that it kind of disorients you in terms of what you should be doing, but just because there's a very large number of ways to interpret the world doesn't mean there's a very large number of productive, meaningful, and sustainable ways to interpret the world. And one of the things you do have to do is figure out how you can conduct yourself today so that you don't upset the apple cart in a week or a month or a year and so you know what, what you do in some sense psychologically is you admit to yourself that your current frame of reference is faulty mm-hmm. and then you start opening the door to a different kind of thinking which is more creative thinking it's more lateral thinking saying think, well I'm wrong but that's not necessarily a problem because I could be right if I thought some other way well you know that's great often it works Yeah. And it, there's, there's almost no lack of there's almost no end to the utility of trying to figure out which ways that you're wrong. Because yeah. there's lots of them. And every time you discover one, then you don't have to be quite so wrong anymore. That's a really good deal. Yeah. What's your time worth? You're a university student. Well, it's certainly worth minimum wage, because obviously. But it's worth way more than that. Because if you spend a productive hour when you're 20 then you gain the benefits of that hour for the rest of your life. So there's the compounding effect of time spent when we are young. So I say, well, let's assume your time's worth 50 bucks an hour, which I think is an underestimate, but whatever, let's call it 50, we call it 25, but we'll call it 50. So that's $2,000 a week you're wasting. It's $100,000 a year. It's like, how much better would your life be if you weren't wasting $100,000 a year? The Da Vinci Code, everyone liked that. It sold a lot. And, you know, it was full of little mysteries, and it was full of hints that there was more to the world than you think, and, which is definitely true. And that, you know, there was a way of getting access to that knowledge, and that it would really be worthwhile. And people like that, they like that idea. And the reason for that is because it's actually, it's true. Learn to write. I'm, I'm dead serious. Like, I'm dead serious about that. Um, because writing is formalized thinking. And so the way you write is, first of all, you need a problem because why write if you don't have a problem? So this is good advice if you're just writing an essay, by the way, for your classes, it's like pick a bloody problem that you want to write about because otherwise it's false right from the start. It's up to you to engage with the material until you find something that grips you, that you desire to investigate. Okay. So you need a problem. Well, the next thing you need to do is, well, you need to have something to say about the problem. Well, so, reading. Reading is really good for that. Read as much as you can. Get your, your hands on that addresses the problem. Okay, so now, now you now you know a bunch of things, or at least provisionally know them. You at least have access to them. Well, now you start, you start sorting through it. It's like, okay, well, maybe I need to summarize what I've learned. And then I need to iron out the contradictions between what i've learned and i need to elegantly formulate that and, and i need to get my word choice right and my phrase choice right and my sentence choice right and i need to organize the sentences into proper paragraphs and the paragraphs into proper sequence so that i have a coherent argument and at the same time what you're doing is is your 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 um you're integrating your own personality at the highest and most abstract level of organization and you're sharpening your tools and you're putting yourself straight because you're learning to think you learn to do that by writing many many years you hone your words they're they're the most powerful thing about you bar none if you are an effective writer and speaker and communicator you you have all the authority and competence that there is. And so you're at university. Maybe you're taking a humanities degree. Well that what's the humanities degree for? It's to teach you how to think. You learn to think by writing. Now there's more to read, to speak, and all of that, but the best thing you can do is read and write every day, a couple of hours every day. Write about things you find important and see if you can see if you can discover what you believe to be true. And that'll build you a foundation and it's unbelievably practical like if you look at people who are phenomenally successful across life there's various reasons but one of them is is that they're unbelievably good at articulating what they what they're aiming at and strategizing and negotiating and and and, and enticing people with a vision forward it's like get your words together man that's that makes you unstoppable and that that's really that's the core of the humanities, that idea. Get your words together. Make yourself an articulate creature. And then you're, you're deadly in the best possible way. So, And take that seriously. The best thing you can do is teach people to write. Because there's no difference between that and thinking. And one of the things that just blows me away about universities is that no one ever tells students why they should write something. It's like, well, you have to do this assignment. Well, why are you writing? Well, you need the great. It's like, no, you need to learn to think because thinking makes you act effectively in the world. Thinking makes you win the battles you undertake. And those could be battles for good things. If you can think and speak and write, you are absolutely deadly. Nothing can get in your way. So that's why you learn to write. It's like when I can't believe that people aren't just told that It's, it's, it's like. It's the most powerful weapon you could possibly provide someone with. And I I mean, I know lots of people who've been staggeringly successful and watched them throughout my life. Those people, you don't want to have an argument with them. They'll just slash you into pieces and not in a malevolent way. It's like if you're going to make your point and they're going to make their point, you better have your points organized because otherwise you are going to look like and be an absolute idiot. You are not going to get anywhere. The truth of the matter is, is that you have a lot of potential as a child, but none of that is capable of manifesting itself as freedom before you become disciplined. And discipline is a matter of the imposition of order, and the order is necessary, especially for people who are hopeless and nihilistic. And what does it mean? Well, it doesn't mean, geez, I hate getting up at 8 o'clock in the morning to get ready for work. That just means that you're not very disciplined, you know. Or, or maybe that it might mean something deeper. But I'd start with lack of discipline before, you know, rearranging your whole life. Because you might say, well, I hate getting up at 8 o'clock in the morning, no matter what I'm doing, and then it's not your job. I don't mean don't do difficult things. I mean, watch yourself. And if you see that you're doing things that make you hate yourself, then consider the cost of continuing. You know, if something's valuable, you'll make sacrifices to attain it. And that that discovery of sacrifice, I think that's what separates human It's one of the f- primary factors separating human beings from animals. Because we discovered that we could let go of something we value in the present, and we would gain something we value even more in the future. Lay a disciplinary structure on yourself, get the chaos in, in, in check, and then you can move towards a state that's freer. It's discipline first. Like, look, if you're going to become a concert pianist, there's going to be several thousand hours of extraordinarily disciplined practice. That's the imposition of order on your potential, let's say. But what comes out of that is a much grander freedom. And so, in virtually every freedom that you have in life that's true freedom is purchased at the price of discipline. But it's not some casual self-help doctrine. It's that if you don't organize yourself properly, You'll pay for it, and in a big way, and so will the people around you. And I would say, start where you can start. You know, if, if something announces itself to you as in need of repair, that you could repair, then, hey, fix it. You fix a hundred things like that, your life will be a lot different. Now, I often tell people, too, fix the things you repeat every day. Because people tend to think of those as trivial. You get up brush your teeth you have your breakfast you know you have your routines that you go through every day well those probably constitute 50% of your life and people think well they're mundane I don't need to pay attention to them it's like no no that's exactly wrong the things you do every day those are the most important things you do hands down well there isn't anything better to have than a problem that's worth solving like that's really worth solving right and so the more of that you take on the more you have a reason to get out of bed in the morning no matter what like i'm getting up i'm trudging forward doesn't matter what i'm suffering from i've got things that need to be done they're necessary and that gives you that sense of purpose that is the antidote to bitterness so yeah there's lots of reasons to you know because i've thought for a long time imagine that imagine you have a choice in front of you because you do so here's the choice your life, life is either meaningful or meaningless. Okay, so let's go through the meaningless part first. Because you think, well, of course, I don't want it to be meaningless. It's like, yeah, just hold on a second. Nothing you do matters. And so impulsive pleasure is the order of the day. No responsibility. That's, you can do whatever you want. It's like Pleasure Island in Pinocchio, right? Or it's, the, it's like Neverland in, 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 in Peter Pan. You're still a kid, you can play all the time. Yeah. Impulsive pleasure and, and no responsibility. That's the reward for meaninglessness. Well, but then the the other side is, okay, well, let's say you want your life to be meaningful. It's like, okay, then what you do matters. It actually matters, right? Make a mistake, hurts you, hurts your family, hurts the world in a deeper way than you think. And you have to be awake to that. And then you have to take it on yourself. So you're at a particular stage right now, and that stage would involve a particular worldview and the behaviors that go along with that. So the perceptions and behaviors. But it's not enough because you haven't mastered the whole world and you're making mistakes all the time. And then there's other neurological mechanisms that. So maybe that's a more left hemisphere phenomenon. The instantiation of that identity. Um, then there's right hemisphere mechanisms that are tracking your errors and sort of and keeping track of them. And the errors are an indication that your theory is incomplete. So it, the errors accumulate and the information around the errors accumulate and another identity starts to become formulated. And it, it solves all the problems your previous identity did, but also some additional ones. When you have an aha moment like that, it's the manifestation of that next identity that's, that's making itself known. Because it's, it's, mm-hmm. you know, it's being built from the bottom up. It isn't explicit yet. And then you'll encounter an explicit statement. You, you you mentioned a couple there. And they map onto that. And that's the aha. It's like, oh yes, oh yes, that's what ties together these things that I've been wrestling with in the back of my mind. Right? Someone made it explicit. And that's what well, that's one of the great things about language. That can also help fill in the gaps too. Because you yeah. then, you know, you, you can start to make arguments based on that observation, that aha. That's, that's, that, that's the manifestation.
0: What is the consequence, the long-term consequence, of acting? So many people, especially because of the world I live in, in Instagram and social media, we, we kind of build out these personas, and then yeah. we almost follow the implicit instructions that come with those personas. Well, so- that's
2: the problem right there, is that I think Pinocchio is brilliant work of art. If you're a puppet and an actor, and Pinocchio is both, at times in that movie, both a puppet and an actor. So why an actor? Like, why is, there, why is there something wrong with being an actor? Well, the first question is, well, who sets your role? And then the second question is, who's pulling your strings? So you've put on this front that is there to make you popular and sexy and desirable and to mask from yourself your own inadequacies. But that's a role. Well, who wrote it and for what purpose? And, you know, maybe you're acting out a tragedy. Maybe maybe you're acting out narcissus. You don't know because you've you've put that on yourself in an attempt in some ways to deliver to people what they want or more accurately to look as though you're delivering to people what they want. And it's not nothing to do that, right? Because at least you're attempting in some sense to adapt to the social world. Someone who's really infantile and dependent, someone who's never left home, part of their problem is that they haven't crafted a persona so you don't want to denigrate it entirely but it's no substitute for the real thing and it turns out that not only is what we want from each other the real thing but that's also the adventure of your life and so if you aren't truthful and that means unfortunately especially at the beginning when you start to be truthful it means deeply coming to terms with your inadequacies in humility So it's very painful. Without that, you don't have the adventure of your life. You have the role that has been, that you've acquiesced to. And that'll take all the meaning out of your life. Right, imagine that the world was constituted so that the true adventure of your life emerged as a consequence of truth in speech and action. Because that would be reflective of the real you, so it would be you living. And then imagine that the adventure that would occur if you dwelled in the truth would be so overwhelming that it would justify all the suffering.
0: I've really contended with this idea of struggle and chaos in my life and the role it plays. And once upon a time, I thought I was trying to rid my life of chaos and struggle. I thought that's why I was trying to get rich and get the Ferrari hmm. and the blonde I thought that would create a life um, free of free of struggle but then I looked at some studies and I saw, heard about this thing called gold medal depression when Olympians come back from the Olympics and they've lost orientation and, yeah. I, and I tried to understand the role that struggle would, would, would have to play for me to be a fulfilled human being for the rest of my life. We're built to walk uphill and when you reach the pinnacle of the hill you want to stop and
2: appreciate the vision but the next thing you want is a higher hill in the distance because it's the uphill climb that it's it's from the uphill climb that we derive our value and I mean this technically. So almost all the positive emotion we feel especially the emotion that fills us with enthusiasm that's experienced in relationship to a goal. And so in some sense you want a goal that you can never attain. Right? So you can always move closer to the goal that recedes as you move towards it. You think, well that's frustrating. It's like Sisyphus pushing the rock uphill. But it's not, because as you pursue that goal, you put yourself together, and your life does get better and richer and more abundant. And that's why the highest levels of virtue and goal are in some sense transcendent. You want them to be above everything you're doing, so you can continually move towards something that's more sublime and better. That's what you are. You're, you're here to live, not to, not to sleep.